Hello and welcome to At Home with Ashley G. I'm Ashley Gronwald, a real estate agent, mother of three, living in Raleigh, North Carolina with my husband Jed. I hope you'll join me as we discuss all things that begin in the home, such as family, marriage, faith, parenting, organizing, and plus a sprinkle of real estate. I look forward to building a community with you as we navigate the joys of owning a home and making it our safe haven for our family. Because home is where it all begins. Hi everyone, it's Ashley Gronwald with Hunter Row Real Estate and I have my friend here, Amy Rausch, who um, she was on, I think it's been a couple of months ago, so go back and listen if you haven't before, but she's a psychologist. We talked about fighting for focus, which was related to ADHD. And I know that so many people benefited from listening to that, that I asked her if she would come back and talk a little bit about anxiety and kids. So that's what we're talking about today. So thank you so much for joining me again, Amy. And go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I am a clinical psychologist and I have a practice called Raleigh Psychology. And um, there are several of us here now. We do both psychological testing and therapy um, for children, adolescents, adults, families. Um, it's a, a privilege. Um, and I have four small children. And so um, anxiety and kids was a familiar topic for me, both personally and professionally. <laughs> so when you asked to talk about it, I thought I don't know that I'm exactly an, an expert because my children have their own level of anxiety. But I do think that that is also part of it. Um, there is no perfect parent. There is no absolute way to alleviate anxiety in our kids. Uh, and so I think actually that's where we're, I think going to start a little bit. It was defining what anxiety is. So yeah. I think, you know, coming from, you have the psychological clinical background that you can bring to the table and then you're a mom of four. So you can definitely speak into that. And then just in the culture that we live in. So I think all of those things give you some credentials that make you relatable um, and also just someone who can speak in a real practical way about the topic. So I think we're seeing probably more of this and you can speak to that more clearly of this anxiety in kids that may not have been there. I don't remember this growing up personally. I don't remember this specifically. So I'm going to ask you from the beginning, what are some of the causes that are creating this anxious spirit or anxiety in kids? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I do just want to start with that definition because I think that that really matters in terms of there is certainly a clinical level of anxiety and then there's a level of productive anxiety. And I really see those things on a continuum. Let me get in your camera here. Um, so where you have an, almost like an apathetic way of either going about life or caring about a certain task. And then we have a paralyzing level of clinical anxiety where we have excessive anxiety and worry. This is our clinical definition about a number of things for more days than not. And it impacts our sleep and our focus and um, our muscle tension and irritation. I mean, this would be more clinical level of anxiety. And then we really do have a productive level of anxiety where when we have a speaking engagement, where we are concerned enough about that that we prepare, where our kids care enough about that sporting event that they want to practice. So we have productive and helpful levels of anxiety. Another way to look at it, what if? One of my favorite definitions is just what if? And I think our kids can't necessarily articulate that because they don't have the verbal skills to say when they're worried about going to soccer practice. I am worried. What if I miss the ball? What if Johnny is better than me? What if I fall on my face? What if I miss the, you know, they 
other team wins because I missed the goal. And so I think at, with our kids, we do quite a bit more guessing because they can't actually tell us what if. If you and I are worried about something, Ashley, we can say, I am worried, what if I fail? I'm worried, what if my child X? Our kids can't give us all of that. Um, and so I think that is why it's such an important topic for us to know how do we create environments for our children? How do we set them up for success? Um, and so you talked about uh, a number of really important things. So the cause of the anxiety really we see varying based on both developmental stage and on context. And so with developmental stage, I mean, how do you see your little one with anxiety? Like preschool or how do you see it manifesting for you? Well, it's so funny because last night Ellie's in the last swim meet of our neighborhood swim meets. And I looked over to Jed and my mom and said, she gets up there with no anxiety. I mean, she's almost five, so preschool. And there is probably 200 people there watching. People are cheering. It's a big event. She's getting ready to jump off the block and do her freestyle. And there's just like, I am anxious for her and she doesn't experience anxiety. So it's like, I don't want to put that on her. And then she gets in there and she performs like she's showing up to do her best. Like you would thought she would have had some anxiety. She has a blast, gets out of the water. Mom, look, I got this, you know, ribbon. Yeah. And I don't see anxiety in her. Whereas I do remember as I started performing at a level that I was seeing some accolades and things come as a result, I did start feeling anxious for tennis matches and to get mm -hmm. the, the grade in school or did my body measure up to the other girls. But that was much later. And it seems like yeah. this anxiety shift has gone into these younger kids. And I just don't, I don't currently see that in my kids. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and certainly, I mean, babyhood, toddlerhood, we see it more in separation. And I'm so bonded to my primary caregiver that when I am expected to transfer seamlessly to a preschool teacher or to a Sunday school teacher, that I can struggle with that transition. I have a hard time knowing that I'm going to feel good when I'm away from the person that primarily provides me comfort. And so then we see kids learning to tackle that. And then they, over time, are able to separate without that same level of anxiety. And then we see, so to what you're alluding to, elementary age and up, really, then we have more academic anxiety. We have more sports or extracurricular anxiety, or, you know, we start then more on social media, which don't get me started. Um, but when we have so many more things to compare to and, you know, parents, you know, not knowing, but may maybe comparing to a sibling, comparing to someone else on their team. And then we see them really wondering, am I enough? Um, is this okay? Is this going to be okay? I've, I'm not like the kids in my class. Why is that? I don't feel like I fit in, that, that type of thing. Um, so we've got the developmental stage changes, and then we've got the overall context. So, I mean, the last year and a half, like year and four months, I mean, just this overall feeling with COVID and just feeling unsafe in the world. And am I, if I go to school, am I going to bring something home that's going to harm my mother, my grandmother, my great uncle, and this overall feeling of being unsafe and then of being of harm to others. And I think it's just so unprecedented. And I think you and I were used to, we could look at our parents and say, well, they make the world make sense for me. My parents really know everything. And of course we grow up and realize that that's not true because we don't know everything. And right now it's like our parents are beholden to Governor Cooper here in North Carolina. Our parents, we know 
to the president, to all of these levels, to the CDC. I mean, there's just so much outside of our control. It's so interesting because I think, you know, as we're talking about this, I think of other friends with kids that are just very different than mine. And um, I think you could probably speak to that for a long time, just the psychological development of different kids in different settings. Um, and then just their innate personality that you can't, you know, argue with. Like there's something in them that comes out of the womb just the way they are. And so far, my kids, I cannot create anxiety for them. It's like they, when I drop them off to preschool, they're the first in the class running to be in there. They're so excited. Um, and who knows, that could definitely change as things go. But um, I see, when I see it in other kids, I'm like, oh, that's a real thing. And then I was with another mom and she said her child was in a big social setting and they said, mom, I don't feel comfortable here. I need to go get my mask. It's like, this is the world that they've grown up in. This is what they know. That's not, it's something I've personally experienced, but I'm seeing it in other, you know, kids. And so I guess as you age and, you know, different things become important. Like we were talking about, this could come up in athletics. This could come up in their school performance um, Mm. as well as body image, which I think I definitely desired to be very successful in school. And so at the same time, it's like, I want to be very protective of my kids of not to put this pressure on them. I hear about parents talking about getting their kids into the certain college and all this pressure and stress of testing and their extracurricular activities and their volunteer hours and making their correct, you know, the scores they need to, to get into the right colleges. And this is going to either make or break them for their life. And I don't remember that type of pressure. I mean, I think I put my own, my own pressure of how I wanted to succeed in the world, but I didn't experience that from my parents or from outside of me, but it seems like that's becoming more of a trend. Are you seeing that too? Just this pressure? I mean, absolutely. I mean, we used to see the numbers that for girls, especially one in four had anxiety. And especially recently, just with the pandemic, we're seeing one in three. Self-harm is on the rise. Suicide is on the rise. And we are just seeing overall and then anxiety spilling also into depression. So I'm so worried. I can't, then I, overwhelming sense. And then I I can't control my mood. I'm really down. Um, So absolutely. And I think we can also um, project our own anxiety about what we want our kids' lives to look like based on what we didn't have on, you know, oh, I did this, but they, they're so much more talented than me. They can do why. And I want to make sure that I do everything I can to make that they are set up to do everything that they can do. And so focused on um, production, on achievement, um, on being the best that they can be. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a lot of lies within that just in, also too on what matters. And I think we, we can't really be creating anxiety in our children when we over schedule them, mm-hmm. when we tell them that they can do these things, but almost communicating that they're not enough if they don't, that this is the ideal. So you falling short of that ideal is less than ideal. So then our kids, depending on their developmental stage, cannot translate the fact that their parents are just wanting the best for them. And so they're just trying and um, really have a ton of good intention, um, but really fueling the sense of, of worry of not being enough. And, and that leads into the, the next question I had is like, where, what are ways that parents can help alleviate some of this anxiety? And it sounds like one of them, try not to put some of your past wounds or past failures or successes and push them or force them onto our kids. It's sounding like that can be, have negative effects. And that's one thing my counselor said to me in counseling is that parents often parent from their wounds. 
for, so wherever that wound came from in childhood, they're going to often parent out of that. And so just being maybe aware of that, maybe spend some time thinking about what are my wounds there and how am I parenting out of that? Is that what you're seeing as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so obviously you gave these questions ahead of time. So I did a lot of thinking about this and, and what our role is on that. And so I came up with three things that I think would be helpful. And I also do want to caveat this. I should have done this earlier with the fact that my colleague, um, Dr. Patty Zordich has worked with kids and specialized in this area for a long time. And so I picked her brain on some of these things too, on her perspective. And um, she was really helpful on this as well. So um, connection. So really attuning with our kids, playing with our kids, um, enjoying them, noticing with them their strengths, their unique gifts. Um, I saw greatness in you today when you showed a lot of self-control when you didn't get the right sauce at Chick-fil-A and you didn't scream. You, you didn't get the ice cream that you wanted and yet you didn't throw it on the ground. Yay, good for you. What what did that take? What did you tell yourself? I mean, whatever level they can developmentally and verbally talk about that, but really just not comparing them with others and enhancing and pouring into and affirming the positives that you are seeing in them. Um, so connecting, attuning, and then this piece about margin. I mean, I think this is one of the things that you are talking about in terms of how we could be creating anxious environments for our kids mm -hmm. is when we over schedule, when we are so busy taking them to enriching activities. This mm -hmm. is one thing that Paul David Tripp talks a lot about. We're so busy taking our kids to one enriching activity after the other that we're missing some of these core pieces of mm -hmm. connection um, with our kids. Um, and so even just paying attention to your kids' rhythms. I mean, I know for mine, if I am out too much with them, like I like to take them on adventures, doing new things. And they, they need time to wind down even before mm -hmm. we can go nap. They, they can't just come home and read to them and fall asleep at nap time. They need time to play quietly, to listen to a CD on their own before they can even transition mm -hmm. like that. And so paying attention to their rhythms of what they need to feel whole. I mean, even simple, are they drinking water? Are they so busy that they are, you know, not even telling you when they're hungry or they're falling asleep on the couch at 5 30. Maybe it was too big of a day. I mean, just paying attention um, to the rhythms. And then the last one, um, equipping. So connecting with their kids, giving them margin, and then equipping them. Mm -hmm. So for instance, some skills in terms of after there's an atypical response to something um, on a day that Ellie maybe was nervous for something, or maybe she did have a meltdown about something mm -hmm. not going the way that she wanted to. Once that moment has become quiet and she's kind of more integrated in her left and right brain, um, talking about what do you think happened there? You know, what were you feeling when? Um, I noticed that you were especially upset at X. And so really just kind of giving them skills um, to manage difficult times. And I know we'll talk about coping skills later, but I think that is one thing our, our society, we have just struggled to give our kids positive coping skills um, on, on how to manage distress as a whole. I was thinking one thing that I feel anxious about is not knowing what the day holds. So if I don't know where we're going, when and how, I really love to know, even if it's a fluid schedule, that there is something. And so 
this bothers Jed because he likes the fluids, very, very, very fluid and spontaneous schedule. And he's like, why are you always telling the kids what we're going to do next? Why? And I think probably me projecting my own, you know, anxious thoughts of, I want them to have some idea of control of their environment, but just like, you know, at the beginning of the day to say, we're going to go to the Y and you're going to play in your class. And then we're going to go to the pool. And after that, it'll be rest time at the house and it'll be calm and quiet. And then daddy will be home and we'll have dinner and we'll play. And, you know, Gigi and Pa are coming over for dinner and then it'll be bedtime. Like I like to give them a rundown of the day. And again, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but it's like you were saying this rhythm so they can kind of know what to expect. So they don't feel like they're jerked from one activity to the next. I've already prepped them of what the day would look like. And then yeah. keeping a pretty consistent schedule, like you're saying this rhythm, they know we're coming home in the afternoon to do rest time. That's just what we do. That's not a abnormal thing. That's a very normal pattern to our day yeah. so they can prepare for it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one way that you are equipping your kids. And for a lot of kids, that's really, really helpful. Having a family calendar, you know, mm-hmm. having something up there where they can see, okay, this is today, tomorrow this happens, I go to school on this day, I don't go to school on Saturday, just being able to know what's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my um, my daughter, when she went from two days a week preschool to four days a week, um, just asking, am I going to go six days next? Like, uh, is this all... Is this gonna- <laughs> We'll never go six She wanted to know what came next. And I, I do think that that is also somewhat personality dependent for kids. I think some kids would be pretty overwhelmed by that type of schedule, just in terms of they might not be able to hold it all in right. their minds. And, and also it's actually really good for developing working memory mm-hmm. in them to be able to say, okay, I'm going to do this. And then what am I doing? Okay. I'm going to picture myself in doing that thing. So it can be good just skill building in general. Um, but for some kids, I think that level of data um, can be overwhelming because mm-hmm. they can't picture themselves in maybe all of those environments or it might prompt so many questions. Yeah. Um, I'll tell Jen you said that. <laughs> the other thing I was going to say is I was reading in a book just about parenting and it the psychologist was giving a speech and they said for all the parents that came to me with an issue with their child if I go back with the prescription being spend 20 minutes undivided time with each child each day doing something they like after 30 days I would give them counseling for free and he said the reason I can say that is because none of them need it because once you've given 20 minutes undivided time to a child a day doing something they like to do the problems go away, which I think is a phenomenal idea. I mean, it's like what you were saying, play with your kids, enjoy your kids, get down on their level, talk to them about what they're feeling, experiencing and all that. I just thought, I mean, I looked at Jed and I said, I really want to do this. I want to make this undivided time for them doing something they want. Because I think in my head, I think I've got them all day, but did I get intentional down on their level, eye to eye? interaction, doing something they wanted, not just them coming along on my to-do list. Absolutely. I think Daniel Amen is one of the ones that, I don't know if he's here, if you're listening to, but he's one of the ones that really talks about that. And so we really recommend that um, to our families here. And it's challenging to see the response sometimes because they say, how am I going to do that? 
And then we then we see that the schedule is so tight that it really does appear difficult. And then it's a conversation about, well, how do we free up that time? Mm -hmm. um, because it really matters that much. Because I think it also can free up the child being what may be perceived as needy at other times in the day because they know they're going to have your full attention later on. And so for that time also, we just ask the devices be out of the room. Um, you know, you put a timer on so that you can turn it off if you want to when it's done or extend the time. But that you don't need to be looking at a clock that you are just fully available for your kids And I know for myself it takes a whole lot of discipline to do that Because um, I have to do it when a couple of mine are sleeping then I go in quietly and then I just spend time uh, And so it is I think incredibly rewarding it has meant a lot to my kids and it, it's felt really sacrificial um, And I think it's one of those things I have to remind myself <laughs> Um, the days are long, the years are short. I mean, I think that's one of those times where I have to say the playing and the really just being present with them um, doesn't come as easily to me as I would like to say. And one other thing, this is just like a thought that I have, like when I'm buying toys or things that we're going to do, I usually get the bulk of them being things I enjoy doing with them. So there's some things I'm like, I do not like playing and that's really hard. I have to be really disciplined to do it. But other things I'm like, I'm always asking Ellie to color and she never wants to color, but I like to color, you know? So, but it's yeah. like Legos. Legos is something Ellie and Parker and I could sit down and probably do for hours and have the blast. But that's not, not every mom's. They, they'll get down on the floor and do cars. I don't really want to do that. But thinking about that, not just buying the toy that your kid always wants, but one that can interact with them because they would rather play with you than just get this toy that they think is the dream toy. So that's something that has helped me stop what I'm doing and look forward to that time with my kids. If it's something that we can both do that we enjoy. Yeah, and to your point, I and mean, I think that interaction and connection, eye contact is really important with your kids. You to be right across from them. I mean, the staring contest, the, the, that's one real method of attunement. I mean, they say at an earlier ages in infancy, like I know myself because I've been seen. Like being mirrored helps them to develop their own identity. And so when we give that um, focused attention to them, it is such a gift. And so I, even if it doesn't come easily to us, like for, I know for myself, I am all in with board games. And now my oldest, we can play Uno, we can play like Monopoly Deal, and that comes so much easier to me. Um, but the younger, to, the younger interacting, my husband absolutely wins. I mean, he is so much better at that than I am. I can take him to go do I'm like, I'm great. Like, let's go to the park. Let's go to the museum. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I'm all in. Um, but the sitting and the playing. Yeah. I'm with you on that for sure. So you talked about coping mechanisms and healthy coping mechanisms, specifically for kids that struggle with anxiety. What are some of those that could help some of the parents listening? Yeah, absolutely. And so one thing, this is going to depend on developmental stage. So if the kids are older, I mean, just maintaining that open dialogue. Um, driving is a great time to do that. I mean, oftentimes there's a little bit going on where they can look at, they're sort of distracted, but they can speak more openly to you. Driving is a great time, depending on where they're at. Um, and then just them having kind of a toolbox of things even. So I know that the term breathing is often an eye roll response of, oh, I know, I know I need to breathe. And I think sometimes there's this disconnect between why that matters. Um, but just in terms of the neurobiology of your brain, when you are really worked up, um, the part of your brain that triggers that fight 
flight or freeze response is really activated. And so it is like you are responding to a big crisis when you are really worried and worked up. And so one of the things for kids um, that I've learned is square breathing. Are you familiar with this? So um, where the kid actually traces on their leg or you can do it with them. So um, you put your hand on your leg, you draw a square and you breathe differently with each line of the square. So you can hold and then let go and hold and let go, but it's actually also grounding. So they are touching their leg with their own finger. They can feel that sensation. They can see it. Um, and they're also breathing. Um, it took 20 seconds is what we need to help reset that, to help the blood flow. Thank you for joining me today. And if you connected with something that was said, I hope you will share this with a friend, subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for sharing this journey with me at home, where it all begins.